Hey everyone, welcome to Infuse Church Online. It is Costume Sunday here at Infuse Church, so I am playing the role of Daddy Shark today, and if you don't know what that is, probably don't have kids. Either way, we're wrapping up our series today called Relationship Vampires, talking about something that I'm sure has gotten brought up over the Thanksgiving dinner table at some point, and it's always contentious. So stick around to find out what it is and how to love in the midst of it. All right, well, I hope uh, you are all here next week uh, for our series on time, since you should have an extra hour of sleep. Isn't that amazing? It's part of the year I always look forward to. Um, but I'm also very realistic, and I think you should be as well. Um, uh, just because we fall back, for most of you, just means that you get to stay up an hour later, and so it's really a wash. Is that fair to say for some of you? Okay. Okay, well, everybody behind you nodded, so okay. <clears throat> Yes. So anyways, um, I have really enjoyed this series. I, I hope you have too. Um, I've, I've personally learned a lot. Um, I've been challenged a lot um, on, on many parts of this. As I said, our first week that we started this series, um, Relationship Vampires, that this was um, both uh, hopefully a little convicting for you as well as it has been for me. Um, we have covered a lot of territory. Um, we've talked about controlling people. We've talked about critical people. We've talked about needy people, and if any of those messages you missed and you're like, oh my gosh, that is the message that I should have been here for, then be at church next time, okay? And you can also go, sorry, sorry, I just want you in church, that's all. You can also go to our website, infuse.church/messages, or download our Infuse Church app to kind of catch up, um, or if you're um, a little passive-aggressive, you can send it to the people in your life who are needy, critical, and controlling. And just a subtle little hint there that maybe they could uh, benefit from that. Okay, so now today um, is one of those Sundays. I kind of sit there as I'm typing through this um, and wondering to myself if anyone is going to leave the church because of what I say today. A backup one. Too far. Don't get ahead. Otherwise, we're going to get really confused. Okay, thanks. Um, <laughs> the guys are going to be like, what are we talking about? Okay, um, so, and, and the reason that I say that, um, and I realize for some of you, you're watching online, and, and there's many people who have said to me, yeah, I watched you online first before I showed up, um, which is great, which is fine, but I hope you'll still check it out, even if you don't like today's message. Um, now, before you leave, though, here is my ask, if today is just too frustrating for you, is that you and I sit down for coffee or lunch or something, and I'll even buy it, okay? And I'm really serious about that because I, I don't want to necessarily convince you of what I'm trying to say today, though that's kind of the point. Um, my hope is at the very least that we understand each other, and I hope that if ever you are attending another church or this is not your church home and you're visiting today, that if ever you would ever leave a church, um, you would leave well because pastors are people too. Um, we only work one day a week, but we are people, and, uh, and most of us genuinely care about you, and so um, if something ever frustrates you that I say, maybe not even in the series, that we could sit down and talk about it, because I think that's important, understanding and um, coming to an agreement, or at least a mutual understanding, I think is really important, and is kind of Christian Jesus follower thing to do. So, that's my prequel to today's message. Now, I say all that because today we are not talking about uh, a type of person, we're not talking about a behavior like we have the last three weeks, today we're talking about a topic, Okay, and it is a topic um, that I think has the ability to suck the life right out of our relationships. And it is a topic that is exceptionally relevant today. And that is because we're talking about politics. Some of you are like, I'm looking for the door. Okay, 
This is going to be good. Um, now, the, the reason, in part, that I say that is uh, twofold. One is because, if you didn't know, in two weeks, uh, we have an election coming up, so I thought that was probably appropriate in timing. And two, I am thoroughly convinced that whoever came up with putting election days in November did not have a family. Because two weeks from now, we all get together with our families, and we sit around the Thanksgiving table, and what is that thing that just has that ability to come up no matter who's sitting around that table? It's politics. Some people are happy about it, some people are bitter about it, and they're going to discuss it over the meal. And then, it, at, at the very worst, someone's going to come up to you and say, oh, and loudly, of course, it's always loudly so everyone can hear, hey, how did you vote? right? And you're like, oh my gosh, I want our family to stay together, so I'm not sure I'm going to answer that, right? And then, and then for some of us, um, we have to sit through an hour or two of Uncle Jim or whomever your uncle is, uh, you know, kind of ramblings on a certain political issue or whatever, and you kind of nod your head. And, and then the greatest part about this all is if that wasn't enough, in, in four weeks, there's round two with Christmas, so if something got left on the table, you can pick it right back up over Christmas. Isn't that great? And that's why I think it is so appropriate that we're going to talk about this today because we're going to the holidays and I want your families to all like each other and stay together. Um, also because I think this is an important thing and an opportunity that we have as a nation, not all, not all nations do have to vote and um, to be involved in our government. And so that political discourse, and I'm, I'm sure I don't really have to go on and on about that because most of you have seen the news today. You understand that there's a lot of tension in our nation. Um, but I was in a room a couple of weeks ago um, with some people, and we were sitting there, and the topic of politics and how you were going to vote came up, and then I watched as the room just went quiet. Okay, like the question went out there, and then it just went quiet. And I thought that was really interesting because, I mean, we were talking about a lot of other things, but that particular topic just sucked the life right out of the room. And I'm not kidding you. The first thing that came to my mind as that happened was the name of our series. I'm like, wow, that is a relationship vampire because it just sucked the life right out of the room and the conversation. And so it left me thinking to myself a couple of questions. And the first question is this, why is the topics of politics such a relationship vampire? Why is it something that we kind of tend to avoid? Some of us, we're kind of either on one end of the spectrum. Either we sit there and we don't really care, or um, we get really, really involved, or we're um, really, really defensive, and we just don't want to talk about it, and we don't want it to be a thing. So we're kind of on two ends of the spectrum, and, it's, and, it's, um, it, and there's a lot of tension in it. And then the second question I thought to myself was, how do you, as our series is all about today, how do you, oh, back up, oh, there you go. How do you love others in the midst of political discourse. And is it possible? Because it sure doesn't feel possible today, because I don't know about you, but as I get on the TV, I rarely ever hear the words politics and love in the same sentence. Maybe you have, but I have not. Because I think it's those two, two ideas that necessarily aren't opposed to one another, they're just not thought as two things that can get along. But for Christians, for those of you who came today and, you're, and you um, are a follower of Jesus, for Christians, we don't have a lot of wiggle room on this because God's, through Jesus' supreme command for all of us, very simple, it's two parts. First part is to love God. Second part is to love your neighbor. 
And we don't got a lot of wiggle room because we are supposed to love our neighbor in all situations, in all conversations. Now, if you don't consider yourself a Christian or a Jesus follower, um, you can just let this today go in one ear or out the other. You can kind of sit back and be like, huh, that's interesting. That's what Christians will do. Now I will judge them even more harshly than I already do. I don't know if that's you. Um, but if, if you're not a Jesus follower, today is not for you. However, um, I think this is so important because for the Jesus followers in the room, um, if if Jesus said that we should do it, then we kind of have to we we kind of have to do it. And if we don't follow Jesus, if we follow Jesus one day but then not the next, or we love people one day and not the next, that just makes us a hypocrite, not a Jesus follower. So these two questions are, I think, worth exploring. Why is the topic of politics such a relationship vampire? And two, how do we love people in the midst of this? How do you sit across the table from your uncle, your aunt, your, your in-laws, whatever it may be, and love them even when you disagree or even when there is discourse? Now, I think this is particularly challenging because most of us, uh, and I just want to kind of identify some things that we've all thought at least one time or another, for whatever reason, no judgment, just kind of acknowledging that we've all thought about this, um, is that there is a particular um, uh, outlet that you listen to, and, and then when you find out that somebody else in your family or you come into the room at Christmas time and somebody's got that, that other channel on, you know what I'm talking about? You know what that other channel is could be different for all of you, but you know that other channel on, and you sit there and you're like, how could you listen to that? Or, or maybe you're an uh, avid Facebook, Instagram kind of person, and so you're reading the posts and shares of your family members and your friends, and you're like, oh my gosh, you listen or read what that one person says, you know? And then when you see it, it just affirms everything you thought about that person, and you're like, oh my gosh, I knew it. I can't believe why they think that, why they believe that, but just justified everything I've ever felt. Or for some of you, you're in the boat where you just wish you had a mute button on your coworker or your aunt or your uncle, just a remote and mute, because I don't want to hear it. I just want to spend time with my family and have fun. Now, it is easy to make it about everybody else, but I think we also have to be aware that inside, because I know I'm just as guilty of this as everybody else, um, inside, it, we, can, um, we can fall into this trap as well. For instance, you may, not, you may not have all the information, but you are not short of opinions. You don't have to raise your hand. You, you may not have all the facts, but you're pretty sure you have all the answers. And for some of you, when you find out the political affiliation of someone that you didn't have any idea that's how they voted, that's what they believed, you sit there and you are sometimes just beside yourself. And you're upset. And then you find out, oh my gosh, and they're a Christian? How could that be? Because everybody knows that Jesus was and Christians should vote Green Party. Yeah, some of you are like, we have a green party? Yes, you have a green party, okay? Um, yeah, that's not probably what you were thinking, but that's fine. that's fine, okay? But that's what I'm talking about. So in the midst of all this, how do we, how do we love? Now, today's story, um, I, I think, is a really great story for so many ways, but we're going to look at it in a way um, that you probably haven't looked at it before. So we're going to be today in Acts chapter 16, um, uh, and so if you have your Bibles, you want to follow along, or you got your app, and you want to follow along in there. Um, Acts was written by a guy named Luke, okay? And Luke said, I thoroughly investigated all the things concerning Jesus and the early church, 
I investigated them. I wrote them down. We call it the, the book of Luke and the book of Acts. And we're going to be in Acts today. And um, Luke tells us a story that has, I think, a political application, but we usually don't see it in that light if you grew up in Sunday school and you're familiar with the story. However, I think it is so exceptionally applicable to how we can understand the answers to these two questions. Now, I'm going to summarize the start of the story because we don't have a lot of time today and I want to keep moving. Um, the story begins um, with Paul, okay, and Paul was a Jesus hater turned Jesus follower, okay, and he wrote a lot of the New Testament. And then we had Silas. Paul and Silas are together. Silas was a friend of Paul and they traveled together and told people about Jesus and, uh, and they were starting churches. And we pick up the story while the two of them are in a town called Philippi. And I brought a map so that we could kind of follow along here. Here's uh, Italy, modern-day Turkey, and right here is um, Philippi, and Philippi is in uh, modern-day Greece, okay, and it's still there. You can go visit it today. It's a pile of ruins, okay? I wouldn't, you probably can't get a and b or anything like that there, but you can definitely check it out. It's pretty cool, all right? And so all this that you're looking at, for the most part, is the Roman Empire at the time, because Rome was in charge during the New Testament, and um, so we pick up the story, and they were going around telling people about Jesus, and a slave woman who had an incredible, almost um, like uh, supernatural ability to predict people's futures, was following them. And, they fo and she followed them for days. And behind them, she loudly professed um, uh, the, their futures and truths and all this stuff uh, for days. And that's pretty incredible um, because I think Paul had to have some incredible patience to have somebody yelling behind him everywhere they went for a couple days. But one point, um, he kind of just... He just kind of cracks. In fact, the, the, the story goes that he got annoyed. Okay? So, you Christians, you can get annoyed too, I guess. Um, but he got too annoyed, and so he turned around and rebuked the spirit that was in her in the name of Jesus, casting her out, doing a little exorcism, if you will, and then she stopped. Okay? Now, if you're the type of person that's like, well, I'm not sure I believe in that, and I think exorcisms are only reserved for, the, for Hollywood, okay, that's fine, but don't let that ruin the rest of the story, because this is such a great story, and I think it's really rich in what we're talking about today. And so, um, he, he, the, the woman stopped, and remember, she was a slave, and this really upset the slave owners, because they were making bank off of her ability to predict people's future. So they were really upset that now she didn't have that ability, and they were upset at Paul and Silas. And so they drug Paul and Silas to the magistrate, the judge in Philippi, for punishment. And that's where we pick up the stories. So here, here in Acts 16, we'll pick it up. Here's how it goes. They, um, so the, the slave owners, um, brought them, Paul and Silas, before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews. These men are are Jews. And this is kind of an interesting beginning of our dynamic here. Because for one, Paul and Silas weren't Jews anymore. They grew up Jewish, but now they were followers of Jesus. And in those days, Christianity, the word Christian hadn't really started yet, okay? Um, Christianity in, in, at the beginning, Christian, the word Christian was considered a, a derogatory term. Nobody wanted to be a Christian okay? But what they considered themselves was disciples of or followers of Jesus, and they were a part of this movement called the Way. That's what the church was, was called right at the beginning, the Way. And so they, for one, they're like, okay, well, we're not even Jewish. We're Jesus followers now. 
the old has passed away, the new has come, and this is what we're doing. Um, but it begins to get at the tension that's coming um, out of this moment. So they've identified them as Jews, which were not, was not ideal. And if they had been Christians or if they'd known they had been Christians, it really wouldn't have mattered. The Romans still would have hated them for it. Okay, so they brought them before, and the story goes on. These men are Jews, the, the slave owner said, and are throwing our city— Next slide. They're throwing our city into uproar by advocating, get this, customs unlawful for us Romans to accept and practice. They're doing something that is in conflict to our Roman law, which then kind of introduces the question, Paul, Silas, Jesus followers, how should you interact with a nation's customs and their laws? How do you respond, Jesus followers, when your values, perhaps, are at conflict with the nation or customs of the nation that you are residing in or living in? Essentially, an easier way to say this is they disagreed. There was discourse. How do you resolve that? Paul. How do you resolve that, Silas? Because essentially the slave owners were advocating that their Roman law superseded the law, the law of Jesus that Paul and Silas lived under. And on that basis, they were advocating that Paul and Silas should be imprisoned. So what do you do? Come on, Jesus follows. What do you do when you feel a law or custom is unfair in the country? you reside? How do you deal with it when perhaps you disagree with someone else on said law or custom? How do you put the command to love your neighbor in the midst of that discourse and that disagreement? How do you respond to that? Well, let's see what Paul and Silas did. Paul replied, He said, you all are so short-sighted for believing that. You know nothing about true Christianity. The Lord your God will judge you and your sinful behavior, and you certainly won't get my vote in 2020. I made that up, by the way. That is not in there. Now, what's in there is pretty good, but we're not there yet. Certainly, though, this is the temptation. Certainly, though, this is what you see on TV. You're wrong. I'm right. I can't even believe you would think that, because I don't. And, and let's be honest, if you're not a Jesus follower, you, that's fine. Like, there's no reason you can't. But as a Jesus follower, what happens? Oh, you know, just people get angry, and then it's like, you know what? I'm just going to go home, and I'm, I'm just, I'm going to take care of this on Facebook. I'm going to make this really angry post, let you know how I feel, and I have memes, and I have videos, and I have quotes, and everything to just prove you wrong. Or some of my personal favorites, let me open up my Bible, which is great, but let me find that one verse that backs up how I feel and just kind of dump that on your lap for you to mull over. Whether you're Christian or not, let me just dump that out there. Or my personal favorite, I'm not going to open my B-I-B-L-E, okay, because I know the truth, and I'm going to give it to you. 
that's how it goes. That's kind of what's been happening lately. But does Paul and Silas say any of that? Do any of that? Not in the least. In fact, Luke doesn't even document that they respond in any verbal or, or in body language, anything at all. And Luke was so specific in all of his writings. If you remember last week, it was like, Luke was like, and it happened at 3 p.m. I mean, he was a detailed guy. But he doesn't document any response. So what happened? The crowds, the crowds joined in the attack, not the physical yet attack, but the verbal attack of the slave owners against Paul and Silas. And the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten, Paul and Silas, to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison. And it goes on. And the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. And when he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell, so the farthest away from the exit, and fastened their feet to the stocks, so there was no chance that they were going to get anywhere. How do Paul and Silas respond? They take a beating. They turn the other cheek, if you will. I mean, Paul could have, as we'll see in just a little, or if you, if you read the story, if you go home and re open up chapter 16 of Acts and you read through it, Paul could have played his Roman citizenship card at this point. Because the magistrate, the Roman magistrate, would dare not hurt a Roman citizen unless it was an egregious offense. The best example that I can think of it is this, especially if you're a Jesus follower, is Jesus himself. They would not crucify Roman citizens. But they would crucify someone of a different nationality or belief system. They would beat someone. They would hurt someone, mistreat someone, and imprison someone if they believed differently than themselves. But they wouldn't do it to their own nation, their own nationality. And Paul could have played that card. He could have got out of jail free card. But he didn't. Why didn't Paul do that? Because Paul had citizenship in a nation, in a kingdom that was far more important to him. He explained this in a letter, I kid you not, in the letter he wrote to the town that he was currently being imprisoned in a few years later because when they left, a church had begun. And Paul wrote all these letters to churches all around the Mediterranean rim, and one of them was to the church in Philippi. And he said to them in that letter, he said in Philippians chapter 3, but our citizenship is where? In heaven. And we eagerly await who? Our Savior. And is that Caesar? Because that's who was supposed to be Lord to a Roman citizen. Was it Caesar? No. It was the Lord Jesus Christ. Who's the Savior? Jesus. That citizenship was most important to Paul. And if his faith was going to get him in trouble, he was not going to play his nation card to get him out. He was just going to go forward being a part of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. You see, the reason Paul is able to take the beating he takes, Silas is able to take the beating that he takes, 
and love in the midst of that, as we're just going to see in just a minute. It's because he knows where his ultimate citizenship resides. And listen, I'll be honest with you, because I was thinking about this. If your citizenship is found only in the nation in which you reside, I completely understand, completely empathize with why you could be a little angry. Because if the nation that your citizenship is only found is in a state of turmoil that threatens your livelihood or your family, I get how you could be angry. I get how you could be disgruntled when your elected officials don't make the decisions that reflect your values. I get how you could be a little afraid because you don't feel safe. I get how you could get defensive because you don't feel like your rights are being defended. But, hear me on this. If your ultimate citizenship is found in heaven, eternal life with God, your Father, creator of the universe, is being afraid really reflective, is spreading fear really reflective of that confidence in your heavenly Father and your citizenship in his kingdom and his promise for your life especially when your Savior said over and over and over again, do not be afraid for what I am with you. I don't think any of us want to be afraid. I don't think any of us, Christian or not, want to be afraid. I don't think you honestly want to put more faith than you have to into the kingdoms of this world. And Paul says... You don't have to. You don't have to get caught up in it. You get to be free of it. Now, Paul, hear me out on this. Paul is not advocating for apathy. Paul is not advocating for you to be indifferent to your government. Not at all. If, if you think that, you need to read Romans chapter um, 13, okay, the first half of it, and it will clear up pretty quickly to some extent, I think, how engaged and how you should look at the country in which you reside. But what he is advocating, I think, is the first place we go. Paul wants you and Paul wants me to know who your Savior is. Paul wants you to know where your Savior resides. And Paul wants you to know that the kingdom, know the kingdom you're a citizen of. Because when you do, you can face unfairness and injustice by turning the other cheek, by being a light to the world, being a city on a hill. And you don't have to get into the muck that other people, that perhaps other people who, who are not Christians are stirring up to stay above the fray. Not because you're better than, but because you know who your Savior is, and the citizenship you hold. Paul gets this so well. As we pick the story back up, look at what Paul and Silas are doing, chained up in jail, okay? About midnight, Luke says, as the story goes on, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing to who? God. And what were the other prisoners doing? They were listening because can't you imagine sitting in a Roman prison 
and the guys who just came in, who were beaten and flogged severely, are singing praises, praying to their God. You kind of have to sit there and be like, either you're crazy or there's something I'm missing. Who are they praying to? Not Caesar, but they're praying to God. Think about this. If you know your citizenship, if you know your citizenship when things get tough, when things get tough, you'll not, uh, when things get tough, you'll know not who to blame, but who to trust. Go to the next slide. If you know your citizenship, when things get tough, when you're frustrated, when there's discourse, you'll know not who to blame, but who to trust. There's a big difference, not just in what's happening in here, but what you say out there and how you treat the people around you. It is easy to blame, my friends. You and I both know that. It is a lot harder to trust. And Paul says, you have an option, though. You have an option to trust instead of blame. Story goes on. Suddenly there was a violent earthquake that shook the foundations of the, pri- the prison. The foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. And the jailer woke up. The jailer wakes up. And when he saw the prison doors open, he drew out his sword and he was about to kill himself, which we think is kind of dramatic. But for him, if he would have been found with no prisoners in the jail, everybody would have thought he released them. And so he would have died anyway. He probably would have been tortured and then died. So this was a better out for him. And who at this point could have run free? Paul, Silas, and all the other prisoners. Who was totally justified in saying, you know what, man, jailer man, you made your choice. You picked the wrong side. I was proven right. You were proven wrong. I was right. You were wrong. I was right. You were wrong. I'm sure you've never heard that in political discourse before. I was right. You were wrong. You're just going to have to suffer the consequences, buddy. That's what you get. Who's still in the cell after the earthquake? Everybody's in the cell. And what does Paul say to the jailer? Don't harm yourself. We're all here. That's why you need to read your Bibles. It's good stuff. What is the message that Paul sent to the jailer for whom you and I could easily sit there and just justify our way around giving him a hard time or letting him off himself pretty much? What was the message he was sending? It wasn't you're on the wrong team. It wasn't, you're wrong and you're right, or I'm, and I'm right. Should have picked, the, the picked the other team. Ha ha, that's what you get. It was, do not harm yourself. Your life is valuable to me and to your Father in heaven. Even though you have contributed to my blood pressure going up. <laughs> even though you have hurt me. I love you. I care about you. Hi, my name is a follower of Jesus. Big difference. And you'll never guess what happened to the jailer and his family. His heart was open, his life was changed, and his whole family was baptized. 
And he was probably part of the church in Philippi that Paul would write a few years later to them and talk about this very idea of citizenship. So let me ask you, what message are you sending? When it comes to politics, political dialogue, what is the message you are sending? When you think about the conversations you get to have, the posts you get to share or make, what message do you send? Let's get uncomfortable for a minute, if you aren't already. <laughs> Where are you looking for salvation? And will your outlook, where, will where you look change two weeks from now? Or is it on the same place and it will stay the same? How much emotional investment do you have in the outcome two weeks from now? Will your outlook of the future change? Does your hope change? This is a tough one for me. Do you care more about people or care more about how they vote? Would people say, you know what? You care more about me. Or would people say, ah, no, I think you care more about how, you, how I vote. You want to know why people plead ignorance when it comes to political things? You want to know why this topic has become a relational vampire? Is because if you say you support one candidate over another, one party over another, people will judge you. And you feel like people will love you less. And listen, if you're not a Jesus follower, you have no moral mandate to follow here. You can continue to judge all you want. But if you are a Jesus follower, don't have a lot of wiggle room. Pretty clear. Jesus followers. Someone's value is not set by the circles they fill in, but by the God who created them and the spirit that fills them. Should have put that on a slide. Not the circles they fill in, but the God who created them and the spirit that fills them. That's their value. And anytime you do something to adjust that value, to make them second-guess that value, we as a church because you get to represent the church just as I get to represent the church, we lose influence. We lose our ability to share a citizenship that is not just four years or six years long, that is eternal. So do your words, do your words and acts clearly point to your citizenship in heaven. Do they clearly point to that? Because that's what really matters, doesn't it? Because when you die, you lose a lot of your citizenship. For those people, if you've ever read this, if you lose your social security numbers or they consider your social security um, as a dead person, you don't get a passport, you don't get a vote, you don't get to take out a loan. I mean, your life is a lot harder because you've lost your rights. But when you die, your eternity is safe with that kind of citizenship. Now, you may not agree with that or believe that. I'm not asking you to, but Jesus followers, I want you to consider it. I'm not saying don't go vote. 
or not get involved. Paul in the first century would have said, oh my gosh, you have an opportunity to change and influence who your political leaders are. He'd say you probably should take that opportunity. But he would also have reminded you and I who really transforms people's lives and who transformed the empire of Rome. It was Jesus. For 300 years, the church was under persecution, but the reason they persevered, the reason people followed Jesus in the midst of that, I mean, think about this. Christians in, in Rome for the first 300 years, this is what you had in store. If you were captured, depending on who was the emperor at the time, you could be forced to put on animal clothing, run through the royal gardens, and the, the uh, emperor and his group would follow you and impale you on a javelin and stick your body up in the royal gardens. That's what you had to look forward to. And yet in the midst of that, you could not find more caring, compassionate people than Christians. Story after story of starting orphanages, of there were plagues and academic, uh, um, not academics, pandemics. And guess who stood their ground? Guess who stayed and cared for the sick and the dying and the needy? It was the Christians because they knew even if they died, their citizenship would take care of them. While all the Romans ran, they stayed. That is transforming love. That is loving in political discourse. That's how the church won for the first 300 years of existence, and I believe it can win today if that's what we remember. That's how they won the world, and that's how Jesus won their hearts on that cross. Imagine, come on. Imagine if as the church we did that. Just even you who are here today. Just imagine if the church was known for that versus unfortunately a little bit of what it's known for today. That kind of hope. That kind of confidence. That kind of in spite of life situations, I am at peace. I am secure. And I have hope in my future. So as we wrap this series up, whether we're talking about critical people, controlling people, needy people, or the topic of politics, where's your citizenship? Where's your confidence? Because it has the opportunity to get you a lot farther than any other. And that's my prayer for all of us. That's my hope that we would all consider that. Let me pray for you real quick. We're going to take communion, and then we'll get you out of here. Heavenly Father, Lord, I just pray, um, as I did earlier, for open hearts and open minds to what you had shown us through your followers, Paul and Silas, that we would be the type of people who would go into a world and love people in ways, have confidence in ways where people's heads would turn and they would say, wow, Tell me about that. Why are you believing that? Why do you think that? Instead of running away, instead of hiding from us, instead of avoiding us or unfriending us or unfollowing us or whatever it may be because they just feel judged or they feel like our, our value, their value is completely dependent on how they vote or the political party that they're part of. This doesn't, this doesn't mean to not be involved, but Lord, I would just ask that you would stir our hearts, stir our spirits to follow that kind of Jesus 
and to be that kind of love, even though it is difficult in the middle of discourse, that we would be those kinds of people to the world around us. In your name I pray.